I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to Off The Beat and Track podcast. Today's guest, well there's guests, it's Nitsareb. Now Nitsareb were a huge band um for me uh i was i was absolutely blown sideways when i first heard their music um and to find out you know a, a few weeks back previous to recording this that they were going to be um reforming and and going back and playing live shows and stuff like that was 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 great news and and i was absolutely blessed to to be invited over um, to Dave's studio to to sit and discuss um, his career in in music um, as well as, you know, not just Nitsareb, everything he's done in and around that. Um, and when I got there, um, Cy from Nitsareb was there as well. So it was absolutely amazing to sit in the studio and, and, and I was played some, some bits and bobs that they've been working on and it was it was really exciting and, and they're absolutely smashing fellas as you will find out now um as this podcast unfolds um before we get into it a big thanks to distraction pieces network for um putting this out for us um big props to 76 for producing this and to brad acton for video content and to my name is ad for doing all the artwork um i'm gonna shut up and let's just get straight on with it remember obviously if you want to hear the songs that we talk about on here um the playlist will be available over on the Spotify account and I will post all the links on social media as well. So just go and click that and have a listen to the songs. Enjoy this episode. I'll see you at the end. It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whiffin. Right, welcome to Off the Beat and Track Podcast with me, Stu Whiffin. I have headed over to Chumpsford. Uh, which is about half hour drive from uh, the back garden where we normally record and it's a bit of a, a weird one for off the beaten track normally it's uh, it's a one-on-one but um i'm lucky to have two members uh of of, of nitsareb and and stark uh si and dave hello hello you're good yeah all good yeah excellent yeah, yeah good. good so I was initially going to sit down with you, Dave, yeah. and uh, and you'd sent over your tracks in advance, and I know you was in the studio and you was bunnying away at a sire, bouncing mm. ideas off the tracks, so you decided, 
well, look, let's both have a go. Mm. And, uh, and why not? Let's do it. So um, we're hoping that the audio is going to be up to the normal level, but we've got the two mics and they're sat in the middle of the room. So hopefully everything should pick up nicely. Um, we've got two yeah. different recordings going here and, and we're also being filmed as well. And, uh, and Dave's got an audio set up as well. So uh, if we can't get something half decent out of this, I'll be surprised. So I'm sitting in a studio that's got more... I say more knobs, but that sounds a bit derogatory to you to, doesn't it? Uh, more, more knobs and, and, and faders and equipment than I've ever seen. So uh, I'm sure you guys have the technical know-how, which I don't, to, uh, to, yeah, to make me sound all right. And that's not an easy thing to do. <laughs> right, so as you know with Off The Beaten Track, what we do is I ask you to pick seven songs in advance, and mm. then them songs are answered with some discussion and a track. And, uh, and what we always do to start with is ask for the track that you believe has got the greatest intro. So what I'll do is I'll ask you first, Dave, and then I'll ask yeah, sure. you, Si, and then we'll, cool. we can just crack on it in and around that. So, yeah, Dave, cool. you went for Donna Summer. I feel love, yeah. It's, a kind of, it's, it's just a given. You listen to it, I suppose, all the years of loving disco or loving any form of electronic music. It's the one, you know, if you listen to it, everybody knows it. Mm. It's a given. You can't, well, what can you say about it? It is what it is. It's, everybody knows that, that sound. You know? it, it sounds otherworldly, right? It sounds mm. like it was made in space, doesn't it? Yes, yeah, completely. Yeah. And, and that, Peggio, right? Well, is kind of. Kind of so I could... it's, a, it's a modular synth, right. but they only really had two notes. So the engineer was recording it and accidentally put delay on it. And, and so the delay was causing the notes to double up. Really? And that caused, that made the sequence, but they had to do the sequence with tape because the Moog didn't have a sequencer. So they literally recorded that bit and then recorded the next bit and the next bit and the next bit. That's why it goes out of time halfway through. And right. It, that's what it is, yeah. And it's, it's, a, yeah. it's a strange story that people don't really know, but no. in them days you didn't have sequences. Yeah, of course, yeah. And you never had either. They hadn't actually been invented. And the lovely thing is with that track as well, it fades in. Yeah. So... It, I mean, that's a brilliant which, way to start a record. Which they would have had to do. As recording mm. artists, you couldn't stop and start and cut the tape yeah. to the degree you can now with digital stuff. So that's what they would have done. They had to fade it in and out yeah. to make it work right. And, you know, uh, it, it's well documented, you know, how important that record was for electronic mm. music. And, yeah. you know, the, the, the producer gets enough props on, on, you know, on what he's done and what he went on to do and, and, and mm. done previous to that. But let's not overlook the vocal from Donna Summer there. No, no. Because it's, it's mm. insane, isn't it? Mm. And and when you see old footage of her performing that, mm. I mean, A, she was beautiful. Yeah. And she just looked incredible when she performed yeah. that, didn't she? And that was that marriage of soul and electronics. Absolutely. That is, people are trying to do now and probably not as successfully as that. Yeah. And it was such a good fusion. Yeah. I think at the time Dis she, it was great for her because yeah. I mean, I think disco was maybe a little bit stale. She'd done yeah. a lot, so that felt like something new for any artist. Yeah. When you hear something new you've never heard before and it excites mm. you, yeah. you're going to go for it. And you can hear it in her vo in her voice mm. when she sings a song. You know? What year was that? Seventy-seven. Yeah. Wow. So that seventy-seven, seventy-eight. It yeah. came out seventy-seven, I think, in America. But so for that sound, mm. I mean, that, that was yeah. pre the, the you know the we call it new romantic. You know, oh yeah, music. Oh, God, yeah, yeah, yeah. way before yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. It was it was well before that. Mm. That's kind of prime punk, I guess, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. on the edge of punk. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, people people sort of overlook that disco was still rolling heavily. Yeah, she recorded with Maroda. Yeah, people forget that that was still yeah. happening. Um, 
and there was a big crossover. I mean, a lot yeah. of punk bands were still kind of playing with a disco yeah. edge in a certain way. Mm, yeah. Certain musicians, certain drummers, certain bass players were still kind of playing an edge of disco. Yeah. With the punk initially, you know, yeah. Pistols changed it, but yeah. there you go. That's another mm. story. Yeah, the whole disco like, is dead thing then. Clash, for example. Yeah. A lot of their influences were, you know, you could hear the soul and disco in there. Yeah. And they obviously used it a lot and then became big audio dynamite. Like, yeah. So, you know, yeah. They, We've, that was always there. With Don Letts, who's hopefully yeah. going to be a, a guest on here soon. Oh, wow, Excellent. brilliant. Excellent. Yeah, so, sorry, what would you have gone for? I'd have gone for Nutbush City Limits by nice. Ike and Tina Turner. Yeah. Because nice. that track starts off nasty and hard and just doesn't let up. It is a proper kind of pounding track. It's, it's aggressive sound, so, yeah, 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 musically. Yeah, yeah. And there's electronics in there. Yeah. But they're all, again, fused in. It's got an absolute superb like banging sort of sound to it Drum pumping awesome. yeah brilliant mm. obviously it's all live yeah vocals fantastic it's actually yeah it's aggressive yeah and it's a story about a hometown trying to get out of the hometown because yeah. of the restrictive rules and stuff yeah and it's, it's got that kind of punk rock feeling you know that's yeah. like punk rock soul funk you know what, yeah. I mean, what do you call it and that that's a template for yeah so many tracks he's an aggressive fella right turner wasn't he oh yeah he, well, yeah <laughs> he turned out yeah. so unfortunately aggressive. he turned out to be aggressive in the wrong way but, yeah um but, but I, I think such a fantastic sound. If I was to ever pick my mm. greatest ever vocal, mm. it's the middle eight in River Deep Mountain oh, God. High, yeah. when yeah. Tina just lets go and yeah. she's just screaming like a banshee mm. before the, the final chorus. Yeah. And it just someone explained it once and it uh, and described it once even as it sounds like someone's just set her on fire mm. and like <laughs> and it's just uh, oh, it's you fantastic know, piece it, it's of easy music to kind of. Look at some of the stuff that Tina Turner done in the eighties and the nineties, mm. and 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 you know, come very mainstream. But what she, you know, as a vocalist, and and what yeah. some of the early recordings were, an incredible, groundbreaking, mm. absolutely groundbreaking incredible music. You know, groundbreaking and, music. Uh, the, the, you know what what that must have been like to have been a fly on the wall to see Spectre. I believe yeah. he like he was quite aggressive as well. Um, <laughs> Spectre. <laughs> Yeah. And Tina Turner yeah. in one place, that wall of sound rattling and yeah, that vocal yeah. in the middle of it. Don't one. get me wrong, Ronnie Spector's vocal mm. is one of the most beautiful things ever, mm. but it's not got that fire no, that, no. That, that, that Tina and had. And apparently they had to pay Ike Turner not to go in the studio. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, um, they didn't want him there. I get that. Well, well yeah. Yeah. Phil Spector did. song and wouldn't want anything the same. Yeah. That was fantastic. Absolutely. Though, yeah. um, so. Before we move on to the second track, in, in regards to intros, um, mm. you're both DJs, you're both producers. Producers you know? more than DJs. Um, we wouldn't call ourselves DJs. No. Okay, okay. Uh, We've got a love of music, but we, we never played as DJs. Oh, okay. So what, when you play out in clubs, it's, it's all, all live. It's all live? It's all live, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's all completely live. I've done you a disservice in five <laughs> minutes in, look at that. They can call us DJs yeah, if you want. Not many people uh, confused <laughs> about it, it's, that's fine. So as, as producers and songwriters, I guess, like, mm. what, how, you know, how important is, is the intro? Massively so. Especially if you're going to play it in that way. I mean, we play live in a, in a DJ fashion. Mm. So you're, you're going to cross-blend a song. Um, you're probably going to fade a song out in a certain way. You're going to bring another song in. People need to hear what's coming and what's going to happen, where it's going to go. Um, yeah, intros is, is, is very important. It can be very simple. Yeah. It can be as much as a hand clap, but it has to be a certain sound, a certain frequency, doing a certain thing. Yeah. It can be a full-on song. You can come straight in and give it its all. But yeah, the intro is what 
is your first 30 seconds is what you know of a piece of music. Yeah, that's where you hook them, right? Yeah, exactly. Mm. And, yeah, yeah. Um, you can write another hook, you can do other things as you go along, but you've got to grab them in the first 30 seconds. Yeah. Well, it's a bit of a waste of time, really. Yeah. Basically, you want people to dance. Absolutely. All right, well, look, um, I'm going to start to move through the questions a little bit quicker because you're both going to answer them. So, yeah, go for uh, it. Yeah, go uh, so for track two, I always say the first song that you remember hearing had an emotional impact on you. Mm -hmm. And and I always explain to the guests as well that that emotional impact can be happy, sad, you know, what, yeah, yeah. What, what, whatever. So, mm. so I, what, what, what I had multiple answers for this, really, because there were so many. Um, I picked Sorrow by David Bowie. Sorry. Um, just because that was one of the first times you could hear... I was aware of Bowie before. I loved tracks by him. But on that track, you can hear the vulnerability and the kind of beauty in his voice. You know, it's fantastic. It, it makes the song, really. I, I didn't know it was a cover version when I first heard it. Mm -hmm. I just knew it was Bowie. And, yeah, that made a really big impact. But I remember the first time I heard Marvin Gaye, it's the same thing, or Al Green. Because straight away, they've got those voices. And, and hit you have. Like what? What was? What was the? You know, the emotional response to that was what? Well, Joy or um, sorrow? Sorrow. It, it was kind of. It, it's obviously a melancholy song, yeah. but it's beautiful at the same time. So yeah, I'd say it was a mixture of. It's, it's a mixture of joy and and sadness, really. Yeah. I mean, you just hear it right through the track, but the the joy in it is, the texture and and the sound of Bowie's voice isn't like a male singer typically giving it a macho male voice mm -hmm. he's not he's he's crooning it's beautiful you know so yeah it's it was surprising yeah and at that time as well there was a lot of pompous rock yeah, exactly. nonsense <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 an yeah, awful lot know. of pompous rock nonsense yeah. Yeah. Total, yeah. Total, i mean it always well appalls me really that in england we had all the awful pompous rock crap mm. but in the u.s they had all the brilliant soul and funk and yeah you know you had james brown al green Marvin Gaye, and over here we had Bloody Cream and Pink Floyd. It's yeah. like, fuck off. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like, you know, that's I mean, you go to where the beauty and the soul yeah. is, don't you? And, and, and Bowie was on the money. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Bowie was aware of, the game, of all this. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess yeah. the, the young Americans who reflected on oh, these, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. these yeah. love of soul. And, but and it, even in Starman, the, there's a guitar break in Starman, which is actually a homage to the Supremes. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. It's, um, I'll. You know, get my get out of my life. Why don't you, baby? You know, keep me yeah. hanging on. Yeah. That little riff is in Starman. Really? Yeah, yeah. And that is it is played that because he loves it. Oh, I'm I'm loving sitting. Yeah, yeah. Musos. I'm getting an education <laughs> here. This is this is. Oh, great. we're not musos. No, we're not because we've got no <laughs> technical ability. I'm excited about for all the years of us being around each other. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've known sizes of basically fifteen. Right. So let's 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 this is a good opportunity now. So mm. were you both born in Chelmsford? Yeah. 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 Right. Well, I was born in Molden, actually, but oh, okay. But grew up in Danbury, but basically, you might as well say Chelmsford because yeah. it's the place you came to. Yeah. Okay. And so you you met at, at fifteen. I was fifteen. Yeah. I was a little bit older, yeah. um, and we just used to shout at each other. Yeah. Because um, we didn't know each other, but we both looked like we liked sort of similar sort of music. The street, basically. Yeah. 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 You can imagine the sort of things that came out of my mouth. Up in your mouth. Yes. Across the high street, some yeah. boys. Oh, you fucking! Why do you want to be his mate? Um, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Many people have said that. Many people have said that. If you met him yeah. now, would you want to be his mate? Oh, God, no, no. No, but I mean, the thing is, straight away, we just, had a, we just identified it. It was a bit mischievous and it was funny and it was rude, but it was also we were wearing similar clothes. So straight away you clock someone and you know yeah. they're going to like good yeah. music. Yeah. And, and does, that, does that still the case now, do you think? 
I don't think so. I don't think kids have a, a something to relate to. They don't dress in a certain style. Yeah. They do what they want. Yeah. I mean, all the styles have gone before, haven't they? Yeah. So you can dye your hair any colour now. Mm -hmm. You just don't look anything different. Yeah. Nothing mm -hmm. has a difference anymore. Yeah. It's all, everything is what it is. Yeah. It's um, a united shop front of Top Man. Yeah, basically. You know? Yeah, yeah. And, and, I, and I do hope that I'm missing something because I'm old. Well, you know, I'm hoping that I'm missing something that's going on. But I do find that it's quite generic. Yeah, you know the the, the the high street fashion now that lends itself to whatever genre you're into. I'm a great believer just by my children who are all like in their early twenties now. Let's call them children; they're, they're young adults, but they are all still searching for something. Yeah, and they they spend a lot of time saying to me, "God, I wish I grew up in the eighties." Where I would say, "No, you don't," because it was not a good time growing yeah. up. It was a yeah. hard mm. battle to be there. But what they're looking upon is that there was something going on. And if you wanted to create something, you could. Yeah. Mm. You went out there and you did it. If you had the balls, you, you made it happen. Yeah. Um, they can't work out how to do that now. Yeah. Because kind of that thing's been taken away. With the YouTubes and all the stuff that goes on, which makes me sound really old and yeah. stupid, but it, it kind of, it spoiled things. The internet spoiled things. Homogenized. Yeah. It, 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 no, where do you go? What do you do? What do you do that's new? I mean, they'll turn around and say to me, well, all music's been done. And I'll say, well, no, it hasn't. What you have to do is go and amalgamate what you love, put it back together and make something new. Yeah, that's which has always is. been, yeah. That's what music is. You, you take two or three different styles or what you like mm. and you make something new yourself. Yeah. Isolation is a great thing for music. Um, people in their bedrooms or locked away somewhere, stuff developed individually. Yeah. So you had a sound. So you, cities had a sound, didn't they? Sheffield had a sound. Yeah. London had a sound. Now you don't get you, sounds. You, like are we talking Cabaret Voltaire? Yeah, 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 yeah. It can be, or you could, you could be talking Southern Northern Soul in America because yeah. they're just such a hundreds yeah. of miles apart. Yeah. You've got a different sound evolving, and, and the get... same happened with West Coast and East Coast hip hop. Yeah, um, but now it, it, all, everybody's aware of what other people sound like. So yeah. if you create music in a way now, you you've already got all those sounds. Yeah. Which is it could be a good thing, it could be a bad thing. But personally, I, I love seeing how things evolve. Like. Yeah. Yeah, you know, little musician in Detroit with a rubbishy drum machine and a synth makes Detroit techno. Yeah. Trying to emulate a soul track. Yeah. And but that sounds fantastic because it's the person was isolated when they were doing it. I yeah. mean, we were the same. We we just we were kind of trying to make things the best we could. Um, trying to portray what was going on in our heads, if you know what I mean, with the basic equipment we had. And and but if you're limited with equipment, we, we'll get mm. on to yeah, you yeah. know your, your journey into music and, and stuff mm. like that. We move through the podcast, but that whole thing of learning as you go with very limited equipment because it's expensive. That's um, you know doing the best you can. That's punk rock, right? Yeah, mm. yeah, exactly. Like, uh, that's that punk ethic that, exactly. that it, well, it was completely punk rock. The, the, I mean, mm. it still is. Our uh, feeling initially. I mean, one of my brothers was very into it from the word it went go. I mean, I was lucky having elder siblings that showed me different ways and different music. Um, but the punk rock ethos has always been, it still is, I suppose, in us, it's still there. Yeah. You've got to be a little bit punk, a little bit aggressive, a Definitely. little bit angry, because else you're not going to create anything. Got to kick against mm. the pricks, mate. Yeah, mm. you know, kick a few asses, it makes things work. So your track two, uh, like, sorry, you went for Bowie as well? No, I actually went for Cockney Rebel, Tumbling Down. Oh, right, you've changed it then, since what you sent me out. Right? <laughs> no, that's because size was on there, but for me, I <laughs> went for Tumbling Down, just because it, it reminds me of being very young, my brother used to go to Southend a lot to watch Cockney Rebel. Yeah. He, was a, he was into all the Essex bands. And because before we started recording, we've, we've had a, a bit of a chat and brought to my attention that, that Steve Island and Cockney Rebel were from Essex. Cowley Island, yeah. Did not know that. Obviously, we knew no, what Pop Rocks and Feel Goods were, mm -hmm. but I yeah, never knew yeah. that they were. My brother would go to Curzel 
Go and watch Eddie and the Hot Rods, go and watch Steve Harley, go and watch all the local Essex bands. Well, the only place you saw a local Essex band back then was South End. There was nowhere else to go to see anybody. Yeah. Because it didn't happen in your local, it didn't happen in Chelmsford. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, there had been things in the past, but for me, I suppose, I was probably 9, 10, 11 years old then. I can't really be true, we'll put a year on it, but I can remember this song coming out of my brother's bedroom. And the lyrics absolutely blew me away and touched my soul. It's like, my God, I've never heard music like that. Yeah. Um, and I listen back to it now. Music, yeah, I mean, it's phenomenal. Yeah. The lyrics are amazing. Yeah, but I think when you look back on the music you grew up listening to, like, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, the time scales that we're talking about, you know, I'm a few years younger than you, you, you two. Um, but, you know, I, I grew up when there was some truly dreadful music, but... Uh, <laughs> but yeah. uh, you know, but there was some amazing music. Yeah, but, yeah. but when I was thirteen, fourteen, you know, I, I was buying, you know, Alexander O'Neill records. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But I listen back to Shame them now. You. I listen back to them now, and I'm not ashamed of it. No, Do you know what I mean? It no, was like really. it was. It opened me up to other music. Yes. Mm. That it got me to you know to, to my taste of where you know where where it's sort of matured too. But I listen back now. And however shit it is, it still takes me to a place, yes. you know, a mate's bedroom or whatever. And I think mm. that is the beauty of music yes, as well. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you know, music, you can, music should should be part of your life. You should soundtrack it, I right? I was talking mm. to my daughter earlier, yeah. and it's like they have certain songs, but they're great memories of music and what I've played them, not what they've learnt or heard for yeah. themselves. Because they don't feel like they've heard anything new. Yeah. They have moments of music, but it's not the same as what we had, if that makes mm. sense. Well, that, that's that's interesting that you say that because the, the question I'm going to ask you both now is like, when you were growing up, was there music on at home? All the time. Okay. My father was a professional singer. Oh, right. Played the Northern Circuit in his time. Yeah. So, I mean, I grew up with Elvis Presley and things like that. I mean, Elvis was probably my first and favourite, still is one of my favourite artists. Yeah. Guy's amazing, everything you can I was listening to say. Elvis on my drive over here today. What do you say? It's Elvis Presley. There's not much more you can say. Yeah. I mean, his career did everything. Yeah. His sound did everything. Um, I listen to Frank Sinatra, uh, big bands. I listen to everything. Grew up with every form of music you can imagine, you know. And that's healthy, right? Yeah, completely. Because it allows you to listen in a different way. When you wanted to create something, you're still remembering where it came from. Yeah. And you add a little bit of that to what you're trying to do. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's what, what music is about. You can draw from it, do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, all the time. It's what it's about. You have to draw from it. And, and sigh? <laughs> Conversely, no, no, didn't have anything. It was dead quiet all the time. It wasn't a great kind of growing up experience that I had um, house was quiet because me and my brother were usually out causing trouble somewhere so yeah we, we never had a soundtrack as it were I mean but we you know at night you'd listen to the radio by your bed or, or whatever you'd hear things just on the radio so yeah we never had music at home okay yeah. that's interesting it's like, yeah. it's like, I always say that like you know I never had that you know my parents were of a generation that they would be buying Leo Sayer and Brother of the Man albums, do you know what I mean? Yeah, and, I, and, and I certainly don't draw from that. But, no. um, but then there was also, you know, I was obsessed with, they had a gatefold of uh, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road that was on yellow vinyl. Yeah. And I remember looking at the sleeve and looking mm. at yellow vinyl and thinking, this, mm. is, this is beautiful. Mm. And I remember the sleeve to Atlantic Crossing by Rod Stewart. I mean, I, I couldn't tell you a track that's on it, huh. but the cover was mm. fucking, fucking amazing. Yeah. And, but there was an Atlantic Soul compilation in there and there was um a Motown Chart Busters album yeah, that everyone owned. All one of them. And and I rinsed it. And and yeah. I think that was put me in, in in grounded me in 
pop sensibilities. Yeah. Mm. Because is there better pop music than Motown? I don't know. You know, it's I, I, I would say so. I think it's perfect pop. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It, it set everything up, didn't it? Yeah. Mm. And, it's, it's a template. And at that age, I was more drawn to that than I was the kind of more slightly more abrasive sound of a rawer sound of Atlantic. Mm, mm, you know, mm, Motown yeah. was sickly sweet, wasn't it? It was so polished. It is and beautiful. Lovely. It's yeah. production like music, but Amazing. fantastic. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And and then you had Stax, which was kind of the earthier yep. version, but yep. brilliant as well. Absolutely, absolutely. So for track three, we're going to move things on to school now, and uh, and I presume you both went to school in Chelmsford. No, uh, well, yeah. I. I yeah, kind Great of. Battle of sand. Great <laughs> right. Battle yeah. of Sand. Great Battle of Sand. It's close enough. So for people that... Yeah. that Chelmsford is Chelmsford. It's yeah. Even it, it, the surrounding it, villages are Chelmsford. It's, exactly. There's a lot of little villages yeah, around the, the outskirts, yeah. right? So, yeah, you know, I think for the, the, the general listener who's, who's, you know, geographical knowledge of Chelmsford, yeah. like, we're going to yeah. go with Chelmsford. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah um, I was a little bit out of the way at that time. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah. So, what are you going to go for? Well, I went, I went for Sweet Ballroom Blitz. Okay. Uh, again, I think I'm going back to I was probably junior school, and something even my my sister would have been playing, and my older brother or somebody. Um, I actually went on holiday to the Isle of Wight, and the suite at this holiday camp were the entertainment. Wow! And I they're probably the entertainment holiday camp now. They probably as well. are. <laughs> very, very old and fat now, I imagine, but yeah, they were the, they were the entertainment, but. It was a strange one because you know you get to see this band. And what was the singer's name? I can't remember. Brian. I mean, he looked incredible. Brian, didn't someone. He? Yeah. yeah. He, I mean, you know, yeah. long white hair. Amazing he? voice. Yeah. He could reach. Oh Christ knows what pitch he hit. But yeah. It was incredible. The ballroom blitz is a song. It's a punk rock song. Yeah. Really. It's a piece of punk rock. Yeah. Done a little bit before punk rock. I yeah. mean, they're talking about people fighting and people having a good time and beering, which is what dance floors were about yeah. at the time. You know, there was no clubs then as such. Mm. You went out, you watched a gig, you got raucous, you had a bit of fun, you went home. Yeah. Um, but for me, it's something that always reminds me of school. Okay. And it's a, cha- it's a changing point. Hearing something that powerful, that aggressive. And, and sorry? Uh, Living for the City, Stevie Wonder. Wow. Um, nice. I, I just remember hearing that and just, it's like a story. You know, it's really powerful and I couldn't work out his voice. I, I think, where's he from? You know what I mean? I've never heard a track like it. And it took me a little while before I sussed out who Stevie Wonder was. But the whole track is just, yeah, it's just amazing. It is like a story. You know, it's like a dialogue going on. It's a pretty hard-hitting track. And, but, you know, if we can focus maybe on a little bit outside of, of, of Chelmsford now, where you was, hmm. it's quite a small village. Like, um, did you feel a connection with, and did you enjoy school? Did you feel a connection with the people you went to school with? Um, not really. Um, kind of on and off. Not really until I left. I left as soon as I could. Because we'd moved away and come back, so I come, I moved away from friends where I was kind of growing up and moved, went into the second year at Bad or whatever. It was all right, some great people there, really nice. Um, but we're all a little bit outsiders, so I used to hang around with a lot of the outsider, so-called bad boys, if you know what I mean. Um, they're great, you just got on really well with them. But we couldn't wait to get out as soon as possible. Yeah, I mean, mine was slightly different because, I mean, I grew up with the two guys that we started nights around with. Yeah. I mean, from school, I mean, first year at secondary school, I met Bob. Yeah. Um, we made friends, you know, and it's kind of that went. I enjoyed school for certain elements. I couldn't wait to get the hell out of it because the education system was absolute rubbish. You were picked upon. Yeah. If you were different, if you tried to be different, that wasn't polished or shined or accepted. You were just, well, you're a deviant. Get the hell out. Go away. Don't be here. 
Can and you? that was the three of yous? Well, pretty much, yeah. yeah. I mean, they stayed a lot longer than me. They stayed on in the sixth form, the other yeah. two. I just couldn't wait to leave. Yes. Yeah. I enjoyed it. I had good fun. I made a lot of friends. Um, but no, our school was, education was crap then. They didn't, they weren't there for the, for you. They weren't there trying to help you. They were, you're just a number. They were trying to yeah. get you through the system and out the door. And oh, if you can't use your brain, use your hands. Yeah. Mm. That was it, basically. Get out. And so where did, with, with them two options, music obviously did not fit there. Anything right. artistic didn't fit there. Yeah. I mean, with your art teachers at school, I remember my three art teachers were fantastic people. Couldn't try their hardest to nurture you to do something artistic because but they were the outsiders within the school yeah all yeah, the yeah. teachers True. frowned upon the art department yeah. let's say and we'd always have a go at them um i remember many years later after leaving school one of our art tutors came to one of our gigs and it's show. yeah it was one of the proudest moments of my life to see the old boy in there yeah and cheering us on and to say you know i knew it and so at school, this is you, Bon, and, 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 and Doug as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, we use already, obviously, the, the thread between you was music, I imagine. No, the thread initially was skateboarding. Oh, really? Very, very, very into skateboarding. Um, all the way through, even when it died for everybody else, we, we carried on. Uh, that was a big chunk of where we got into music at, at, together. Because we'd be listening to a lot of the fresh stuff that was coming out of LA, a lot of the, the ska punk that was coming out of LA. So what, what, big fans of Devo and yeah. such like. We already liked punk. We already liked funk. We already liked disco. All these things just were the same to us. Good music's yeah. good music. Um, Skate culture's got a lot to be, you know a lot to say in it. It changed. Know? It changed everything. A lot of people don't realise what it did, what it, how it's, it has affected fashion and the whole ruling of the world, the way things run now. Yeah. Um, the filming of things. I mean, I moaned earlier about the internet, but it's. I mean, that's a big chunk to do with it. Yeah. Filming things, broadcasting things, showing people things for real. You're not looking at a photograph. You can see some film. Um, yeah, massively so. And you know, even to to look now at, at current fashion trends like Thrasher, it's all skate Supreme, and everything that, is skate related. It all comes from the skate parks, right? Yeah, come on, right. totally. Fantastic. All right, well, um, we're going to move on now to track four, which is the first record that you remember buying. Go on, Sai. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, th this sounds a bit late because prior to buying a record, we used to, well, shoplift. Um, <laughs> where I used you're, to you're certainly not the first guest to what say that. No, used to steal all the music. Yeah. Yeah. We, we did. We, me and my brother used to kind of steal cassettes and sell them at school at a massive profit. <laughs> and it kind of, you know, it was quite good. We, you know, we, and that's where I first started hearing, you know, Roxy music and Bowie and that kind of thing. But the first record I bought was The Scream by Susie and the Banshees. Nice. Um, after hearing it on John Peel, and he said when it was coming out, I didn't actually have a record player at the time, but I, I had the album ready for when I did. So, I mean, it's amazing that you, you said that you used to steal your music because it's been a thread on a lot of these. Oh, okay. That, that, you know, and, and personally, when I when I first started DJing as well, like um, a couple of guys that, you know, because it was none of us had any money, right? And we no, no. do these DJ sets for, for for buttons. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, Just completely. because it meant it was an opportunity to to maybe chat to a girl. Do you know hmm. what I mean? And, and be, be seen to be a little bit cooler with your college mates because she was a DJ, right? And uh, but yeah, to drive to these these venues, and you know, we all had shit cars and we had no money, so 
you know, it'd be like, right, I need a quid off everyone for petrol, mm. you know, and you put like four quid in at the petrol station to try and get you a... Yeah, but that got you four gallons, and, and it would have, mm. it would have, and that's it, you know. You get a John O'Groatson back then on four quid, but um, my mate had a leather jacket and he cut the pocket in it to 12 inches. And, uh, and he could never, he never had any money. So what I would do is each week I'd be like, right, I need this by the cure, I need this by the Smiths, I need this by Mode, blah, blah, blah. And he would go into Woolworths and he would just put all these 12 inches in this massive pocket. And then on the way to the club, I'd be like, right, everyone give us your quid. And he'd pull all these amazing bits of vinyl out of his great big <laughs> pimped pocket uh, uh, that would get him to the club and back. Brilliant. Uh, uh, okay, so... What did you go for? I went with the normal warm leveret. Oh, mate. I'll mm. tell you what. I always say to people when they when they do these podcasts, like the first record you bought, don't try and be cool. Because when we were young, you youngsters weren't listening to John Peel. You've just mm. said you were listening to John Peel and you <laughs> picked Susie. You've picked one of the coolest records ever made. So you used them well before your time, mate. It, it was a strange thing for me. I can remember the little... You're making me feel bad about Alexander O'Neill now, mate. I was a little store in Chelmsford and we used to go in a little tiny dark place and at the front all seven inches were there and it, it, like, big boxes of them you go in and rustle through and it was about the time I actually started categorising things. Yeah, so you'd have a label mm. name on something and it said Mew. And... I don't know what drew me to it. I think I saw it in a magazine or something. It wasn't the, the reason I'd heard the bit of music or wanted a bit of music. It was the label. Something was like, why? I've read something about this. This is Mute Records. For, yeah. for listeners that are unaware of the, 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 the history of Mute, it was sat by Daniel Miller, yeah. right? Who, yeah. uh, who, and I who, do believe this was the first thing he ever did. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think... And it's I, Daniel. I got it. I looked at the front. I looked at the sleeve. It's a little seven inch. I've still got it in a, in a back room here. And I thought, Wow. And it's a powerful sleeve, right? right. Yeah, yeah. So this is a big thing for me. Sleeves is a, as much as the music. I bought loads of things. I'm shit, but I love the sleeve. Yeah. Um, I remember taking up to the guy. Right, go back to the back of the shop. It's really dark and dingy. Can you play this? And he looked over like typical rock guy running the shop. All right, I'll put it on. And I thought, fuck me, this is amazing. Yeah. It's the first time. I suppose I'd heard electronic music in that format. Yeah. I'd heard craft work, I'd heard certain things. You've gone for the Donna Summers and whatever we talked about earlier, but that was different. Yeah. This was different. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I should point out now that, that all of these tracks we will compile an off the beaten track uh, playlist on Spotify, so you can go over and you can listen to this. And, and if you've never heard Warm Leverette, then it's, it's yeah. a it's really fantastic. good reason to go over there and listen to it. And and the sleeve is, is the crash test dummy in, yes. in the car. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yes. yeah. And and aside from you mentioned the label earlier and the mute logo is is mm. genius, isn't it? Yeah. It's like it all looks so marketing companies would spend millions trying to kind of get the yeah. you know, what obviously what Wilson done with Factory and what Miller done with Mute is simplicity. It's fucking brilliant. It's Funny thing is he used Letraset on that and that's a standard yeah. Letraset symbol, so it, yeah, it's it, not just actually, brilliant. It's not actually that clever, it's and, just and standard. Well, what, kind of right? yeah, it's just if you superb. ever get a chance, I, I often talk about this podcast, but a friend of mine got a DJ called Eddie Temple Morris um, oh, yeah. has got a podcast um, called Trailblazers that he does with Nick Hawks that was XL. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, All right, yeah. And they have Daniel Miller on there, mm. and he talks about the electro set. Mm. And he talks about, and, it, and it's, it, you know, if you are mute fans and and, and and like a good music podcast, I can't recommend Trailblazer cool. by D Temple and, and, and Nick Fox enough. It's, it's, it's absolutely fantastic. Hello, I've interrupted the podcast again, haven't I? Sorry, it won't take a sec. All I want to say is, the songs that we're talking about in this podcast, if we can't play them, it's just because of the regulations regarding 
playing licensed music and such. So if you want to hear the songs, just go over to Spotify and search Off The Beat and Track Podcast and you can listen to all the songs because I've put playlists up for each of these. If you can't find it on there, I'll send links on all the social media accompanying each episode. So you've just got to press that one button and you can go through and you can enjoy all the songs that our guest picks. Anyway, I'll shut up, get back to the podcast. See you on the other side. Uh, uh, yeah, it was. It was. And it's, and it's such a solid logo. And, and mm. just the sleeve of Warm Leverette, if you had to have a visual representation of that sand, yeah, exactly. it nails it, doesn't it? Totally. Yeah, yeah. And, and and the other side as well. They're both both tracks are fantastic. And the B side is TVOD. TVOD, yeah. TVOD yeah. So yeah, it's a completely different sort of song. Mm. But as electronic music goes, that's yeah. groundbreaking mm. stuff. Yeah. I mean, Daniel will admit himself, he didn't know what the bloody hell he was doing when he did it. Yeah. No idea what he's doing. He's going for it. Let's mm. try something new, let's be different. Mm. I mean that's 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 there now. Try something different. Even the Grace Jones version of Warm Leverett, that's brilliant. Yeah, Fucking yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. So, what, what was this record shop called? Poppin. Poppin. In Barrow Road. Right. Yeah, it was there for long. long gone there. I, yeah, yeah. I don't even know what it is now. Do you know what it is now? Uh, it's an Indian. That is an Indian. Because <laughs> there was yeah. a, what was it's it? a funny little shop because it's all, you went in the front and it was quite big and it had, you know, you, you had your booze and records mm. all in the boxes and, and then it had this little alley that was almost, it was almost scary. When you first went there as a youngster, yeah. it was like, God, can I venture up the back there? You used to go in the front and flick through records mm. and not actually want to buy them because yeah. what's down the back there because it's pitch bloody yeah. black and obviously keep your electric bill down don't have any lights on yeah. and you turn a corner and there'd be this hairy geezer in the back going mm, what do you want you know and you think fucking hell yeah. I actually bumped into Susie Sue in there oh really when they were, when they were playing at, at Chelmsford that's when half the Banshees had left and Robert Smith was playing guitar for right. her and she was just looking for the records yeah. And, and it was kind I of thought I recognised her and she goes are you coming along tonight I went yeah she goes alright and that was it, it wow <laughs> I mean it was one of those places it's really where nice Matt, you, you got together it's where you start first met it's where we first well, met what was Parrot yeah. Records Parrot Records was Parrot, the was Parrot the yeah I remember yeah. Parrot Records Poppin yeah. was the first one it's like on the edge it's just two. as a punk thing was mm. sort of fading a little bit but it was still going in Chelmsford and that's where everybody met and they say you sort of walked in you didn't necessarily know each other but once yeah. you've mm. done it for a couple of three months yeah, well, yeah. I know you well I know you because you were going in there buying music and people would look over your shoulder, what's he buying, what's he yeah. buying, you know? And that's how you made friends, that's how you worked out who's who. So mm. I've got a story about looking over his shoulder. I was, I was in the um, Camden Music Exchange uh, in, in about 1995. And, uh, and we was about to do an interview with, uh, I think it was Select Magazine in the 90s. Okay. Mm. And, uh, and, we was, and, and I'd just seen Primal Screen do their first ever show with Manny on bass at the Esplanade in the South End, and it was absolutely diabolical, like terrible. <laughs> like, they bought their own engineer that didn't understand whatever they were doing, yeah, and, right. and, and just sonically it was fucking abysmal. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and and you know to see Primal Scream in a two hundred capacity venue on South End Seafront, you know, should have been amazing. Yeah, amazing. But a week later. Um, we were waiting to do this interview, and I've walked into the, the music exchange, and I've seen Bobby Gillespie like leafing through some vinyl. So I'm just sort of seeing what he's looking at, and uh, and I just sort of tapped him on the shoulder because we was doing this this interview. I was all excited, so he set a camera everywhere, and I was like, um, "How you doing, Bobby?" And he was like, "You all right?" And I was like, "Yeah." I said, "I, I saw you um, last week in South End," and he went, "Oh yeah, it wasn't the greatest gig. What did you think?" And I, I couldn't do it, and I went, "That's really good." 
And I just thought, well, I should have just said, no, it weren't very good, mate, but I couldn't do it, you know. Mm. Or be nice. And uh, he's fucking Bobby Gillespie, you know. I went, yeah. Primal Scream, you know, a big thing for me. And, uh, and I went, can I have a photo? And he went, yeah, yeah, of course. And he was totally lucid, really lovely, smiley. And my singer, like, got the camera and it was me and a guitarist standing either side of Bobby. And the minute he's gone, are you ready? Bobby Gillespie has gone from being a completely lucid, chatty, really nice guy. He just literally went, like he was strung out. So, <laughs> Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Right, yeah. You know, it was his show face. And the photo's amazing. It's Bobby Gillespie looking like he's strung out. And it's me and my guitarist either side looking at him really confused, wondering if he's all right. Because (laughs) he had the turn. Like, yeah, it really felt like that. It was like, hang on a minute, you was fine a second ago. But, uh, But yeah, I do think that the... The independent record shops, yeah, they would have mm. the signs on the on the on the, the court board, guitarists wanted. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and, yeah, and that yeah. would that would be the hub, you know. That, you yeah, would, exactly. That, you know, you would find like minded people mm. and, and it sounds, you know, almost elitist, but you would judge them on what they were looking at, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. You know? yeah. And if yeah. you thought that they were looking at something that was credible, mm. you think, oh, Michael Salo. Yeah, yeah, I mean? exactly. And, uh, exactly. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, totally. And you can you, you can talk music, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got connections straight away. So. A- a- absolutely. So we're going to move on to track five now, and, and this is where <clears throat> um, I want to start talking Nitzareb as well. Mm. Um, and we'll, we'll, this is where I ask you about the song that's trying to track your years clubbing. Mm. And um, so I'll I tell you what. So I, what, what's your track? Well, it kind of varies, but I, I'll tell you either. I feel love again because mm-hmm. that's always been a constant. Yeah. It doesn't matter what kind of club you're in, people play. I feel Trans- love. Every genre, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Um, and straight away, everybody's united. No, one, I, don't, I don't really know anyone who doesn't like it. Um, and then, Sex Machine, James Brown. Yeah. Um, and again, it's 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 just such an enduring classic. It it will just fill a room. You can't not like Sex Machine. Yeah. And I've heard that in punk clubs. Electronic clubs, yeah. So everything, and the but same with I feel love. It's a, a, both of them just instantaneous groove. Yeah, exactly. That, exactly. That you, yeah, yeah. You know that, that that you just think I've got to move. Mm. You know, it, it's it's primal, isn't it? It's party it, music. Yeah, but just done so well. Yeah, it's not mindless. It's yeah. just 
fantastic. Absolutely. What, what, did, what did I say? I said little Louie. Yeah, yeah. Kiss because yeah. for me, yeah, that is great. It's just a it's nothing to say, but it's a classic piece of in electronic music. I mean, go 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 to to the Spotify playlist and listen to this because if you hadn't heard it before, then you, a you're in for a fucking treat. But I remember because that kind of, went to number one, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and. Records like that never went to number one, no, right? No, um, Groundbreaking. I mean, how long is that record? I mean, it's about twelve minutes. 12 I think. Minutes, yeah, it's, just, it's, just, I think it's just on, just over. And just it's over just twelve minutes. It's just almost like the sound of well, the slowing, slow the fucking, slowing right? down in the middle when it yeah. slows down. When it slows down, so think how they had to record that and do that. That's why it got to number one. It means yeah. that yeah. whole Records slowing slow down, down thing, the middle, yeah. sexuality yeah. of it, yeah. and where it goes, and when it starts mm. to like, build again, and it comes up again, and it goes back into something. If it didn't grab you on a dance floor, yeah. there's something wrong with you. Like I feel mm. love, it's got mm. such a sexuality about it, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's a very... See, I, I, I don't like it when people go, oh, yeah, you know, like Led Zeppelin, that's the sound of, of sex. And it's like, no, it isn't. No, it isn't. No. <laughs> so Little Louie by French Kiss. Yeah. Is, yeah. You know, that's, that's sex. Sex, sex right? is every breathing mm. and, yeah. and feeling it and, and feeling it in your bones. And I'll tell you what, we, we had a 90s night once um, at, 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 in Grey's Rolive. And uh, and we was playing lots of sort of you know late eighties early nineties dance music, and I just finished DJing and, and I said to the guy like, I'm going to go and get the other DJ. Can you just sit behind the decks? Like you've got ten minutes. Right. I'm just going to drop like Lil Louie. He'd never heard it before. <laughs> <laughs> and he literally when the other DJ came, he came out. He's like, what the fuck have you done to me? He went, I've just sat there. The whole place is looking at me while there's some bird having an orgasm over his feet, and I sat there just. Being, <laughs> Because it don't sound like anything no, else, no, does it? No, no, no. Got very hard tune to mix, very yeah. hard tune to work. Yeah. You kind of have to drop it. You have to let it play its course. Yeah. And you kind of have to do the old school DJ thing yeah. and just go, I'm not trying to mix this in. Yeah, it's you just, just about the song. Fade it over mm. when it's finished and start with another one. It's Absolutely. So, at this point, like when you're out clubbing, um, I, I imagine, you know, from school, you, you're still friends with... Um, Bon and, and Douglas yeah. and, and, and mm. are, you, are you now in the fold sorry yeah yeah we kind of got involved early on because I had a cheap nasty synthesizer which was pretty good actually the Wasp um, and I wasn't really using it much and I heard that my friends um, were making it were, were in a band or were interested in making music uh, and this was this was Bon and Dave and everything so I sold my Wasp to Bon and that kind of I suppose not kickstarted it, but it helped. Yeah, it did, um, no, yeah. it kickstarted it. I mean, mm. you, you sold him that. I went in a K's catalogue and bought a Gen SX 1000. K's catalogue. You know, which is what you did yeah, then. Yeah. You know, it's 50p a week. My mum was like, well, if you bloody want it, you pay for it. Yeah. So 50p a week for the next seven years. Um, turns out that the gem was a moog, basically. Yeah. It was that they wrapped it up in another shell. That's right. Um, we started making music, me and Bob. I mean, this was pre-Nights Red. It's like making music, making a lot of bloody noise, trying to work out something. Nights are right? Not Nights are Yeah, so, it's right. not. Okay. Call yeah. Nights are So I've got it from Source now. It's Nights are yeah, Rev. We always say Nights are It's how, how we, we, we invented it. It's what we came up with when yeah. we named it. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we don't really take a lot of notice now. 30 odd years later, you don't. Yeah. It, it's pronounced how it's pronounced. Everybody yeah. says it in a different way. Yeah, it, yeah it's a strange one. Because yeah, he, he had a synth. I bought a synth. Me and Bond did some stuff. You messed about. I think we were racing about on BMXs as well yeah. at the same time, you know. Um, yeah, how do you make music? And so, you mentioned that you were listening to like Thrash and you know, you know all the skate core stuff that was going all on. All sorts. I mean, we, we've always had a massive spread of music. So you grew up with ska, reggae, 
disco, soul, Elvis Presley. I mean, you name it, he was spread the board of music. We grew up with it all. And so, so you want to tie it all together. So when you sat down and said, right, we're going we're gonna to start making music, like the four mm. Like, what, what was the plan? Like, what, what, what was it like? Right, what we want to do is, you know, we want to sound, you know, want this sort of sound. Like, well, because let's have it right. Be totally honest. I'll be totally honest, and it's something we all agree. We heard DAF. Right. So, and initially, you hear that that pounding bassline, the simplicity of it, and it's kind of like we loved it. Mm. And somewhere in there, there's disco, and somewhere in there, there's funk and there's soul. Yeah. But it's also punk rock. Yeah. Yeah. So it was very, very obvious at the time when an SH101 is, and it had a sequencer and it cost a few hundred quid, we could start with a couple of drums and this sequencer, yeah. we could make some music. And we get Doug in to sing, and away we go, basically. So did, did you know that Doug could sing? And have a bloody clue. I just said, he's <laughs> a nice fella here, Bob, maybe he yeah. can sing for us. Yeah. Just give it a go, you know, and it's kind of how it went. And so first gig? First gig, bloody hell. YMCA Chancellor. No, it wasn't actually. Mm. No, it wasn't. The first gig. Prince of Orange. Prince of Orange pub mm. in the back garden on a two foot riser, having to ask the geezer if we could have some electricity. Fantastic. Because he couldn't work out, why do you want electricity? He said, well, can't plug the fucking synthesizer in, can't make any noise, mate. You know, a little synth, little tiny keyboard amp. Yeah. Three drums and a cymbal. Yeah. Where you go. And I think he was singing through the keyboard amp as well, so you can imagine what that sounded yeah. like. But yeah, that was the that was the first show. And what was the first show, <clears throat> you know, because seeing um, the band a lot myself, mm. he's a serious front man, right? Oh, you know, there's there, there's no lack of charisma there, no, I know. Like was that apparent right from the off? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, I mean, know, when, when we, when we first started, we used to swap <clears throat> positions. Like, we, there's a certain song, someone would sing better. With certain songs, I was fucking shit at drumming, so certain songs, Bob would drum better than me. Yeah. So we'd swap around. Um, we were happy to do that. You'd move around, it made a better show, and people hadn't seen people do that. So used to guitar, bass, people stood there in front of them doing the same thing. We kind of went, no, you've got to change this up. And you were stuck with that punk ethic as well. You're trying to do something different. Mm. And, and a different show, a different presence. Be angry, be what you are. Try and put a point across. I mean, we were very misconstrued at start with, like with Doug would write lyrics. Oh, you're really political. No one actually bothered to listen to the fucking lyrics. It was completely opposite to the way we dressed mm. and what we were portraying. We're just trying to wind everybody up and have a giggle and stir them up. Say, hang on a minute, open your fucking eyes. It's not... Punk well, rock, right? Yeah. He's like, you're mm. back to punk rock, you know. Yeah. Mm. It's, it's not a very hard ethos. We were pretty planned about what we did. So I came on board very early for the art. Um, we kind of knew the whole presence of what we wanted to create. We weren't, obviously we weren't 100% sure how we were going to do it, but mm. between us all we knew, if we all got together, we could make something special. Yeah. And that's kind of where it went, you know. <clears throat> and how quickly did it gather speed? And at what point did Mute get involved? And we gigged around <clears throat> here for what probably eighteen months, two mm. years. Yeah, we probably played every fucking shit venue that would give us a gig. I, you ain't talking about a toothbrush. Yeah, ninety percent of places. Ninety percent. You wouldn't give us a gig. <laughs> ninety percent of places wouldn't give us a show because no. we didn't have guitars. What the fuck's this? Couldn't work it out at all. So you kind of ended up putting nights on with people that got it. We used to play in Romford a lot. And Res. More towards yeah. that way, Ilford, because they were already getting the London sound coming yeah. out. So you had a high energy and the stuff that was going on up there. That was big for us. On the gay scene was big, they were accepting it. Uh, very difficult to get a show around here. We did all the little local clubs, the Hermit and Brentwood and all them sort of places. Um, 
And then we started to get London shows. You know, again, really shitty places, but we'd take anything because we needed to play and we wanted to play. I suppose, yeah, 18 months, mm. two years. Because we had our own label to start with. Yeah, I mean, we, right. yeah, we changed okay. from doing our, mm. our first demo. Then no one was going to release our music. We sent it to everybody. No one was going to take it on. So let's start our own label. We found a guy... Um, because there's nothing else in the UK that sounded anything like that really, was there? No, not at all. Not really, not well, no, because Daff are German. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. We were bloody German, didn't we? Like, exactly, you know, exactly yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, what, what year, what time, what was it, 80s? 81. 81's initial. 82. 81, right. 82. So really, by 85, you got to skip a little bit, we were, we were, we were it was moving. Yeah. Mm. Um, we got our plan. We released, I think, by then, two let, or three EPs. Up to Let Your Body Learn by yeah, then. Yeah, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. We, that was yeah. all on our label. Yeah. Um, I, back to the normal warm lever my love of Mute was so strong I couldn't see another label we tried many others but for me it was always Mute yeah. it was the label I wanted us to be on and I think I talked Daniel's hind legs off so badly in the end he'd give in I think I talked him into submission who'd have thought, thought it who'd have thought that <laughs> yeah. fucking Dave talking I know, I, know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean I'm real and so to, to Simon Mute mm. how did that feel yeah, but well, we never. Uh, the funny thing with mute is you never sign. Um, of course, just, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we we Daniel just come down to see us in a studio called Greenhouse. Um, we were recording Total Age, weren't we? Yeah, yeah. Um, and the tracks they recorded live, like the live set. So live drums, live synthesizer, all through the desk. Phil Hardin, who actually worked at PWL Studio, like yep. producing Kylie and Dead yep. or Alive. Then he was mixing mixing us. Um, Daniel come down and and loved it and like yeah was bullied into into it by Dave you know he just said yeah and it kind of grew from there really and okay and then at what point did did you two take a step back um I was always I was never um kind of up front because I was always behind the scenes doing the art and the, the coming up with kind of some of the language that we, you know with the kind of slogans and all, all the design and everything it, it was kind of all of us but I was actually I was doing that as part of my um not my day job because I was working full-time so I'd be doing everything in the evening so I, I was always on the periphery but never in the and, and the forefront. artwork is fucking amazing by the way mate oh thank you a- very kind phenomenal genius and, we, um, and, and, well again we have we have it painted on the wall in the I remember that yeah yeah <laughs> again theft had a part in that which was um because we couldn't really afford to... I was really into constructivism and dadaism and all those sort of art movement things, so I would take a scalpel into bookshops and take the page out that I wanted and then take it home so I could photograph it. Have you stopped stealing stuff now? I have now, yeah. Right. yeah. yeah with with modern-day yeah. technology, you don't actually need to. Yeah, yeah. I've got a lot of yeah. gear here. I'm just wondering yeah, yeah. if it's safe. <laughs> you can recreate right. it now. You know. yeah. <laughs> now you're safe. Records, he's now going out tooled up and nicking the, books. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and and Doug's still got a few from Sandon School, which like books on Dada and stuff yeah. that yeah, yeah we stuff, took he, stuff he, from. He so nicked him when he was in the sixth form. Mm, yeah. So I was in the library. Yeah. So I was pretty much always in the background, if you like. So yeah. I I didn't sort of fade out. I I stayed with Mute, um, getting a fee for Knights of Red, um, and just carried on kind of working. And then Dave will tell you his bit. Yeah, for me, I think a point. I think we signed to Mute. We did Total Age was great. Really enjoyed it. We went out on tour. I was doing really, really well. Touring was going amazing. Out of England as quick as we bloody could. Because England just was not receptive. So and Europe was going to get it, right? Mm. The minute you got to Europe, it didn't matter where you played, they're into it. 
They're just a different way of thinking. They still are. It's a different... Very, I don't know why, but it's the way it works. Um, well, I spent, okay, I carried on about another year or so. I think we were getting around about 87. And mm. just different things in my life, personal life, family life. And I wasn't, to be truthful at the time, enjoying it. Um, it felt very political within the music industry. Right. It felt very political. Within not within the, the band? No, not the band itself. The band itself <clears> was fine for me. It was, it was everything around me that I was suddenly not enjoying. And it was all the restraints people were putting on you and the things they expected of you. For me, I thought, well, you're all fucking wrong. The record label will tell you something and I think, well, that's bullshit. You're a million miles off. That's, it's never going to sell with you doing that. Yeah. But they, they have the say. Mm -hmm. So for me at the time, I think, you know, you get in a place in your own mind and I thought, it's time to go. I've got to go. I can't, because I was going to be, it's going to, I'm becoming negative. You can't be in something that is, is driven by positivity with a negative link. So yeah. I said to the boys, I've got to get out of this. You know, this ain't working. We had a, an art to art, which is never nice when you've been friends for years. Of you know, it was time to come. Um, I don't have any regrets about it at all. I went on to get married and have my children. Yeah. Which is, that's the way my life went at that time, mm -hmm. you know. So that's really what, what felt right, yeah? Yes, it's what, it's the way I was brought up. Move on to the next thing. I bought an house and all the rest of it and yeah. went to work and did what you do, you know. And so doing that, obviously having a family and that, he's, he's obviously a beautiful thing. But how did it also feel seeing the band go from strength to strength to strength? Well, like, how, as, 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 you know, was there any bitterness? Was there any kind no, of... No, because do you know what? They never actually released a single fucking record without getting me there to say it's okay. <laughs> That's great. Every fucking time they made an album, you've got to get up here, you've got to get up here. And I'd have to go through it all. Yeah. That sometimes was a bit hard work because I didn't yeah. know the fucking producer and you'd sit there and I'd go, well, I don't really like that. I don't yeah. really like that. Because you, you're not personally involved. You don't like every element. Yeah. But That's a beautiful thing, though, that that, you know, the that, guys that relationship. On board. Certain yeah. songs were changed on the spot, like a day before it's going to be released. Well, that sounds bollocks, boys. And it would get changed. Yeah. I still had, I suppose, a little bit of say in it. Um, I kind of still wanted me. They asked me to come back like a year or so after I'd left. Um, things weren't working with whichever the drummer was. But at that point, I'd, I'd moved on. You know, I was doing something different in my life. It wasn't did, time. The friendship was always there. That's a mm. thing. Did one of the drummers end up doing stuff with the Pixies? Am I right there? Uh, don't know. Yeah, my son. Possibly. Can't remember. There's been a few drummers. Yeah. Well, I mean, they went um, through. After me was Duke, and then there was Julian. Yeah. Julian played for them for quite a long time. Julian was a local guy from Randy, Julian Beeson. Julian Beeson, yeah. He played for a long, long time. Um, right through the Depeche Mode tours. Uh, I can't think of what was after him. Jason went after Julian. Courtney. No, Jason was after Julian. Okay. Bloody hell, they've had a few then. Yeah, oh yeah. No, yeah. Courtney, Courtney come back on the scene 2006 when they started again. Right. Courtney played. But Jason left and Jason was in and then come back again. Yeah, Jason it? come back after mm. Courtney after yeah, yeah. 2008, I think, when yeah. they went back solidly touring the world. Jason come back. Jason's amazing. Jazz mm. drummer. Absolutely the perfect drummer for that band. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people will say a jazz drummer's not the right one, but he is, because the intricacies of what you've got to play. It's groove-based, right? Yeah, mm. and it's very it's very technical, but yeah. you don't appreciate it. When you program something in a machine, and then ask someone to play it, yeah. it's fucking difficult. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's... And Jason played up to the end of the last time they were playing. Okay, well, that's, that's a good point to move on to the next track, and then after that, we'll then talk about... You know, mm. you're all getting back together mm. and, and what's, yeah. what's, what's coming up. That's so, cool. um, for track six, I ask you to pick your favourite song from an artist from your hometown. So, we're talking Essex, right? We're yeah. talking specifically Chelmsford. 
So go on, Dave, you can go first well, this one. I went with Imperium, Narcotic Influence. Okay. Mainly because they're old friends. Um, Bobby, who was a really, really good friend of ours, they passed away a good few years ago now. But for me, it's another Essex band or a local band, a Chelsea band, that I kind of knew we'd inspired. They were big Night's Rep fans. And you got to hang out with these people one-on-one -on -one, and you got to watch them grow and progress and do something. And their career was a very short-lived thing um, due to Bobby's illness. But their music, for me, was very important. They're not one of these very underrated bands that nobody knows much about. You know, not many people know about Imperium. They did an album and a few bits of Bob's side did the artwork for them. You know, it's, that's how close it is. Um, they ended up on XL Recordings, touring with the Prodigy. Right. Um, did very well for themselves, you know, enjoyed what they did. They went to the States, they, they, they did good for the few years they were doing it. Bob got ill, it was kind of the end of the band, you know, it was time to stop. Yeah, I don't, yeah, it's, it's, that's what I call a local band. Yeah. And for me, as electronic music goes, yeah. proper electronic band. Okay. You know, real stuff. <clears throat> and can we talk about the track you played earlier? Which was, which... When, when I arrived, you played me a track with Dave singing. Oh, the Iggy Pop cover? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so this is this ties in with, with, with Bobby, right? So no, this is someone else. Uh, it's, yeah, it's a, yeah, different, yeah. it's a different deal. Um, everybody kind of ties together in some way. Dave was always mm. a fan. Dave Arscott, who's singing a vocal on the, on, on the Iggy Pop cover we're going to release um, maybe this year, maybe next year, it'll be sometime end of this year. Um, everybody kind of knew each other. You interject, you DJ, you make music. If you're into electronic music, everybody bounces off each other at some point, and you all know each other. It's great though, right? It's how it's meant mm. to work. And it's, you know, I, I, I've not seen you, Dave. I mean, I've, I've never, met, I've probably been in the same room as you probably many, 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 many probably. times. Probably, yeah, yeah. Um, but we've yeah. never spoke, so. No. But, but Dave, um, when we put together a documentary mm. for the Pink Toothbrush, mm, yeah, yeah. you, you come down and spoke on that, and straight away, Conversation was was flowing right, and and I've not seen you for maybe three years. Yeah, and, about that. Yeah, about three and years. And the yeah. fact that there is that thread of of music mm. between us all. I say six for you. The, the, it is, and, and and the minute I got here today, it was like, you know, I ain't seen you for a week. Yeah, yeah, but that's great. but that's how it works with most people. I think, Randy, you don't have to see somebody for a few years. In period, back on the road now, doing very well. Just oh, wrote wow. a new album. Wow. Um, they're back out. They're doing it. They're getting gigs. They're touring. Um, they did Infest Festival last month, I think, up in, up in Bradford. Um, yeah, they're doing great, you know, they're going at it again. And, um, and the Iggy Pop cover um, is, is a charity record, right? It's going to be a charity record, yeah. Something Si has had in his mind for a long time. It's five years in the process. Um, getting back together with, with Knights Reb and having Bon around allowed us to play certain parts we're not bloody good enough to do. So with him in the, in the picture, we could make this song and finally get this track out there. Um, we now have two versions, one with a local guy, Dave Arscott, singing, which we kind of, is kind of a stark version. Let's say. It's kind of a fantastic version. His yeah. voice is absolutely brilliant. So, you uh, know. And, yeah, and then like the flip side, it will be a double A side. The other side is all basically Knights Red. We've got Doug singing from Knights Red, Bond singing from Knights Red. Bond's also playing keyboards on both tracks. Um, all, the, all the profits from our sides of it will go to a cancer charity mm -hmm. for our friend Donald who died couple of months ago um, yeah. it's going to go to whatever choice his wife wants to yeah. use it for um, he was a massive Iggy fan so yeah. it kind of feels like the right thing to do yeah. um, to leave him something yeah um, Yeah. so we're fantastic, doing it fantastic yeah. fantastic so Si mm. your song choice uh, which one's this <laughs> the, uh, uh, an, an artist from your hometown oh hometown yeah um, 
Well, Diesel Power, Prodigy, because mm-hmm. um, it's just a fantastic record. And again, it's, it's just a groove. Uh, and Cool Keith rapping on it. It's, but it's industrial strength. I don't know, hip hop. What is it? You know, it's just what, that's funk. What know. is it? Yeah, exactly. You know, because mm. Prodigy are, a, I, I guess, are seen as being a, a dance band. Mm. You know. Yeah, yeah. That, that album, as much as it's got every possible groove a dance record could need. Mm. I, growing up listening to Knights of Ebb, for me personally, Knights of Ebb was the most aggressive music I'd ever heard. Mm. You know, it was, you know, it didn't have that kind of, how can I describe this? It it wasn't Depeche Mode. Depeche Mode sounded hard, Mm. you know, and and some of the other stuff on mute that I liked was, you know, some of it was quite aggressive, but... Knights of Ebb for me was 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 the, the hardest sounding drums, the hardest, most aggressive vocals, and you know Knights of Ebb shows were aggressive affairs. Do you know mm. what I mean? Yeah. And, yeah. And and you just think, well, wait, I, I understand that that technology evolves, and you know drum sounds change, mm. and and it, it you know it can only get bigger. Can it get bigger than the Prodigy? Mm. I don't know. <laughs> Did they at that point? You know whether we call that sound. Does that get bundled in with Big Beat and the Chemical Brothers and things like that? It was fucking massive, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. It's, it's yeah. the biggest punch in the face you're going to get, right, at that time. And and it still sounds fucking fresh, yeah. doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah, yeah. That's the beauty of it. It still sounds fresh. Yeah. You do something different, you do something new, you do something out there, you, you yeah. break the rules, you break the boundaries... Yeah. Then you make something special that lasts forever. Yeah. Because no other fucker's ever done it. Yeah. And that's, uh, uh, that's Liam's history in there as well. It's hip hop. Yeah. yeah exactly. Know? That's where he come from. He, when I first met him, he was he was called Cut to Kill, that's and he was right. making mixtapes. So it's really and they were brilliant. You yeah, mentioned yeah. this, right? Yeah. Because um, Destruction, who was the guy that I was telling you about earlier, that was in the oh, band yeah. that done the stuff with Adam F and that. Yeah. Um, I had him on here talking about it, and he was talking about when he'd done DMC and he was doing some some scratch stuff and. And he was doing some some radio and that, and he found a tape the other day. This guy he was up against, and mm. it, was, it was that. Right, it was Liam. Right, and, brilliant. Uh, in his in his early outings, as you know. Yeah, I still got a tape at home. It's brilliant. Yeah, it's, still it's formative stuff. <laughs> After all them years, still got. Yeah, a tape but you know, I think you know, I actually bought that one. Well, no, I got given that one. I didn't thieve it. Oh, that's, I, good. Yeah. that's good. But mm. I, I think you know when Fat of the Land come out, mm. you know. Even Dual Generation was a game changer for me. Mm. You know? Yeah, yeah. For me, it was Poison. Mm. When I heard yeah. Poison, I just thought, "Fucking hell, where this band gonna go?" Like mm. because this, this weren't Charlie, you know. No, it, no. You know, and, and they're all great records as well, you know. But no good stuff. Dance through the people that have brilliant records. But for yeah. me, when I heard Poison, I was like, "That hip hop grooves in that." Yeah, yeah. And and then when Fat and Land come out. It was like, fucking hell, like, mm. you know. I can remember sending Bon, I was out in LA, I'd split up my second wife, it was a bit of a shambles. I was speaking to Bobby and then we were Imperium, we were touring with them, and they were, Imperium, uh, Prodigy were going to play in LA, and uh, I, I was coming home that night, and I got hold of Bob and I said, yeah, can you get us a ticket? So what do you mean? I said, Bon, you've got to go and see this band. They cover message, they're about as close to what we ever, what we ever did as we're ever going to see. You've got to go and see them. I can't remember when they played Golden Summing in Hollywood. I think it was their first ever show in in in, uh, in America. And I came home that night, and the next day, Bond said, yeah, you're right. They fucking got it. Yeah. 
And actually, I think it's part of Essex. It's, it's what you grow up with here. Do you think so? Yeah, it's a big chunk of pressure to be different, to, to, to make your point, to stand out. Do you think, when we spoke beforehand, that that is that because we're on the cusp of London, you know, and the media attention is London, mm. do you think that we've got we've got shout a little bit louder? Yes, always have had to. we're outside the capital. Yeah, and this county gets shunned upon. Yeah. They all think we've got fake fucking tans and wear poxy white shoes. And to go back, to go back, you know, from the... the, 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 the the, the mass view on Essex now is obviously, you know, Towie and, yeah, and that kind exactly, of shit. Exactly. But to go back to them that late 80s, early 90s and that, it was the Sharon and Tracy, mm. you know, culture of it white was, stilettos and, and, and XR three eyes and, and all that. Yeah. That was the, the, the media's perception yeah, of, of Essex so was, wasn't portrayed, it? But really, Essex as a place in itself was nothing like that at all. Yeah. No. But that, that doesn't. Punk rock started here. Yeah. The first ever punk festival was in Chelmsford, for yeah. Christ's sake. I'd mean, just like to point out at this stage, uh, Stuart's got white shoes on, actually. Yeah. Well, they're yeah. not stilettos, though, are they? So he can get away with it. I normally, that's the only time I normally wear my stilettos on a Sunday. Uh, uh, I'd like to wear stilettos. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, look. Um, so the last track um, is, I asked you to tell me a, a song that um, you'd imagine that our listeners wouldn't have heard. And, uh, mm. and you, you, you know, you'd like to give them a, a little heads up on something they should listen to. Well, I had to go for Two Servants Clash by Culture. Okay. Um, no, as I, an I album, don't, I don't know that. As an album, phenomenal piece of reggae, incredible album. Very, even very overlooked in its time. If you were a reggae head at the time it coming out, you would know what it is, and all the big reggae heads will. Um, but the actual song Two Sevens Clash" from the out al- from the album Two Sevens Clash," just amazing, moving piece of music. Um, if you're into reggae, you'll get it. Okay. You know, again, an overlooked band. I think they did three or four albums, maybe. I can't honestly remember. It's a long time back. But um, it's one of them pieces of music sticks with me. Yeah. And whenever I hear it, it puts the hairs up on my arms. Yeah. Reminds me of so many great things. And what music's about. Yeah. Fantastic. Sorry? I actually had, well, a couple, really, that have just always kind of been there. And kind of Trouble Funk oh. um, pumped me up. Oh, what a song. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. I mean, again, probably, you know, as great as intros go, that's yeah. up there as well. And just just a fantastic band. Yeah. And that was kind of... They don't get the credit they deserve. No, no. And that, that you can hear... The, that was early rap, really, but with the live go-go. Yeah. And just fantastic. Yeah. And... I think I also had oh yeah yeah Loopzilla George Clinton. Explain this Go Go a little bit to listeners. Okay, Go Go was a form of live funk from Washington, still going, still there. It's underground sound of DC, so it's a percussion-based heavy funk with call and response vocals. So it's as soulful and heavy as you like. So it's heavy heavy funk, not just it's not smooth. It's rough. Rough and raw. Percussion percussion based. Very percussion based. Yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, Trouble Funk were a big. That's, they accompanied us didn't, you know, with yeah, records. Yeah, we'd go yeah. to clubs. We'd take, we'd take Loopzilla by George Clinton, and Trouble Funk. When we went, when we played at gig and say to the DJ, "Can you play these?" and they'd invariably say no. Poor um, old, poor old Russ at the at the at the, at the brush. I mean, he got some stick at times of not knowing these tunes. Yeah. You know? mm. um, you go play this, mate. Oh, what's that? You know, like, no, play this. I mean, I can remember actually taking them down again. You know, have a fucking copy of it and play yeah. it. And he wouldn't. He, he, the following week, he'd have gone home and had listened. Oh, fuck me, that fits, doesn't it? Next yeah. week, it's on. Mm, you know? And he, how the fuck do you find this? How do you know where this come from? Yeah. You just need. You found music in different yeah. ways and from yeah. different things. I mean, George Clinton, 
Like yeah. you say, George yeah. Clinton's George Clinton. He remixed the Knights Rep track, still one of my favourite ever remixes. Um, the I guy mean, gets it. I mean, that's... You know. What more do you want to be said? You've yeah, got George Clinton to remix your bloody music. There was two things. There was, I mean, Knights Rep were in 2000 AD. They had a comic strip one week. Yeah, yeah. No, no, yeah, yeah. no. 2000 AD, yeah. Oh, mate. Yeah, they... they um, I can't, can't remember the name, which Frigley or something. I, I can't, can't remember. remember which That's one a fan of some There's a graphic right. designer. That must yeah, have yeah, been yeah. home and dry. It was superb. And then we got George Clinton to do a remix, which yeah. is, you know, like... I, I think mean, that was all within about two months, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We were just like, we, we made it. Really. In our heads, yeah. we made it. Sign done. off now. Yeah. And, our, done, and our friend yeah. Donald, who, who passed away, he, he's he got uh, the original frames of of the, the comic bit. Oh, fantastic. So, before we finish, Night's are Back on the roads, yeah. Um, so how did, how did this come about? How, how did, was there a, was there a phone call? Was well, there a... not really. We we've been hanging out with Bomb for the last couple of years. He's been backwards and forwards. He's he's sold a property and so they they still they live in America. Bond and Doug are still in LA. Um, we, he's been backwards and forwards, sorting things out, personal life, parents, and what have you. And um, we've just been seeing a lot of each other. We've been doing our music as stock, um, do our live shows, go out, do the parties, clubs, whatever, and. Uh, He's been coming round and hanging out and sort of seeing the way we do our music, which is very much a live-based thing, very much improvised. We tend to have a basic structure and then whatever comes, comes. Every time we play, it's completely different. Yeah. It's never the same. It's kind of what we like doing. We don't like it being the same. Um, we played a show in a local club in Chelmsford and he came and played percussion along with us and really enjoyed it. Um, there's been pressure to do Night's Rebel again. People are always asking when you're going to get back on the road. Yeah. Uh, he, he basically approached us. Um, Were they planning on doing it? No, not at all. No, Bond um, kept saying no, didn't he? Yeah, Bond kept saying no. He wasn't really in the space to do it. And he said to me, um, it was Christmas in 2017. Hmm. Yeah, he, we went out for dinner and he said, well, I'm starting to ask you, you know, would you be up for doing this? I said, what? What would what, what, what you want? He said, would you rework the songs? Could you? Would you be into it? I said, yeah, absolutely, let's have a go. Let's, you know, we can only have a try and see where it goes, see where we end up. Um, he sent me, I think he gave me about 20-odd songs, 25 songs. Um, bit of a head trip to start with. Oh, where do I begin with this? You know, we're going to rework these songs. I wouldn't call them remixes because they're not. Um, I sat down and just went at it, basically. They were away. It was a February. And they were away doing their other band, Blacklight, supporting Depeche Mode across the Eastern okay. Europe. And I thought to myself, I really like to get this done in a month. Sounds like a lot to some people, but it's a rough structure of what I perceive the music to, to go from and to be something new to do it again. And I've got them down in a month, we've done them. Um, he came back, I played them to him. He loved it, totally got it. And yeah, we kind of moved from there. Um, said to Doug, we, you know, this is where, where we're thinking, where we want to go with it. Um, he's totally up for it. And. We're now at the point we're at production stage now. We've just finished, uh, Bond's just gone back to LA. So uh, we just finished our first production rehearsals as such. Um, and yeah, work from here. We've already got, I don't know how many shows we've got booked already. We're playing... About five or six, yeah, more than that, I think. I think. We've got four mm. shows at the end of this year in December. We're doing mm. a couple of shows in Sweden. And then we're doing Berghain in Berlin. And that'll be the end of this year. And then I think got about eight or nine festivals booked for next year already. Um, the idea, we're not really going to go on tour as such. We're going to go and do festivals and do, do some things every other weekend. Um, 
it, we probably will end up doing South America through America, which will be a mini tour. But um, no one really wants to tour as such. We don't want to go on the road for months on end. It'd be nice to just kind of go and let's do something once a month, somewhere really nice, somewhere decent to a receptive audience and, and have fun. UK? Yeah, we've got one in Bradford next year. Um, actually, the first show... Electroworks. Electroworks will be this year. It's December nice. the 1st. That's a bit hush-hush. Um, we just announced it on the podcast. <laughs> exclusive. <laughs> exclusive. Yeah, exclusive. Yeah. Um, that's obviously Electroworks, a little tiny venue, but that will be our first show. Oh, first um, show altogether. It's the first show we'll do. Um, and then the, I think the other show we've got booked in our USA is Bradford next year, which is... Well... August. August 25th, 20, I think. Yeah, something like that. 25th, 26th, something like mm. that next year, yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it, we're all really looking forward to it. It'll be fun. It, we're doing it in a different way. There's yeah. not a live drummer this time round. Yeah. Um, we've kind of, as I say, I've reworked the songs into a certain different order. Sides playing live on stage of this, which has never yeah. happened before. Um, there'll be a lot of ad libbing, which is more fun for us. It's exciting, right? Do it in a mm. different way. Yeah, completely yeah. exciting. Do it in a different way. It still have the energy. It's still there. When you listen to them songs, I couldn't. Some days I just sat listening to these bass lines over and over again, going. The fuck do I do with this? Yeah, it, it's so good on its own. What yeah. do I what do I do to this? I can't make it any better. How do I, what do I do with yeah. this? Um, I end up, I end up putting I think twenty or twenty five songs together. I can't remember now, but it's a there's a fair list of them and a, a spread of all the years of their music. It wasn't yeah. let's focus on one period of time. Yeah, didn't want to do that because they wrote so many great tunes over mm -hmm. the years. Let's let's do a bit of everything. Um, everybody loves it. I mean, for me, my protagonist is this man sitting opposite me. Mm -hmm. If he likes it, I'm done. Yeah. Um, I put it together. I played it back. Yeah, it's perfect. It's perfect. <laughs> it's just Knights Reb, um, kind of the way you'd imagine Knights Reb to be now. Yeah. If someone said to you, right, take one of the classics, what would you do to it? Well, we kind of reduce it to its basics, but the the basics are so good. We've just enhanced it in a way that's still got the aggression and the anger. Um, imagine that, but a massive club feel. I mean, that that's really what's happening. It's Fantastic. It is that way of sort of going, I suppose, in a sort of almost a club-orientated feel. Yeah. It's more of a DJ style. Yeah. The set will be continuous. There's no stop-start. There's yeah. no this... Kind of what we've never liked with music is when you have a band, they stop, and then, la, 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 la. no, just keep rolling. You yeah. just keep giving it to them until you've wore them into the ground, basically. Gents, <laughs> like thousands and thousands and thousands of Die Hard Knights Red fans, I'm as excited as what they're going to be to see these shows. Fantastic. Like, um, I can't thank you both enough for inviting me around today. And Pleasure. Chat. Yeah, it is. Brilliant. Absolutely lovely. Brilliant. And, uh, and best of luck with it all. Cheers, thank mate. you. All right. Spot thank on. you. Thank you. There you have it. That was Off the Beaten Track with Knights of Reb. Nitsareb, Nitsareb. They said Nitsa, I say Nitsa. Great episode. It was really nice. When we finished recording, we sat around for another hour or so, um, having a few coffees and and just chatting music and, 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 and chatting mutual friends. And, and you know, we realised just how incestuous the area that we've, we've all grown up in, you know, where everybody knows everyone. And, it's, and the, the thread is that kind of, it's the creativity and, and, and those that are in the arts. It's it's lovely that everybody seems to... All we've done was sat there going, yeah, he's a really nice guy, and yeah, he done that with me, and yeah, he's a really nice guy, he done that with me. And it's, it's just nice when, you you know, there is an element of community 
you know, in that creativity. So it felt really, really nice to to sit with them chaps and, and, and catch up. So, yep, I'll see you next week for another episode. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. It's Off The Beat and Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whiffin. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.